Good morning. We are glad that you're here. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church this morning. For those of you joining us online, welcome as well. We're glad to worship with you this morning. We're going to open our service with Psalm 23, which reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this place that we can be. We thank you that we can come and be in your presence. Lord, we thank you that we can be here among believers, among people who are searching for you. Lord, we pray that in this time we would search for you together. We would learn to know your voice. We would learn to know that you are our shepherd. Lord, I pray for all of the service, um, for the message and for our worship together and for our time of communion. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be here among us in those places and in this time. And Lord, we thank you again that we have this opportunity to worship. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I would ask that you would stand as our youth lead us in the creed. And I encourage you to say it along with them. Good morning. Welcome to FTC. My name is Becca. Would you please stand with me and recite the creed as we declare our faith? Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and in Christ the Holy Church. The communion of all believers. The forgiveness of sin through the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Good morning, everyone. God's presence is here. He is everywhere. If you don't sense it, we need to praise. We can praise into a sense and a, a, a it's because he is here amen I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life
Good morning. We're going to go back into that song in just a second. But um, in Numbers chapter 6, a lot, most of you will recognize that song from the way we end service every week. Uh, I'll share the benediction, and I share that out of Aaron's blessing, uh, the Lord's blessing to Aaron that Mo, uh, God told Moses to, to, uh, to speak over him. And so in, in, in the end of Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And so this was instruction for the priests on how they were talked to the people they were caring for. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you, uh, to make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then it says in verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. When it says that I will put my name on the Israelites, what it's talking about there is that almost like a, a rancher will brand his cattle to like label it so that everybody who looks at that animal knows that animal belongs to that person. When God said to Moses, tell them I'll put my name on them. What he was talking about was there was, when, when God puts his name on us, it's meant to be that there could be no questioning who we belong to. That we belong to God and that he wants to bless us in every way. That he wants to go before us and behind us and beside us and be in us to give us all the blessings that come with being a child of the creator. An image bearer of the creator. But the fact is, the practical truth in life is, it doesn't always feel that way. There are times where, where we go through things, where we have struggles, we have trials. Some of them are health related. Some of them are relational related. Some of them are financial related. Some of them are emotional related. There's a, uh, relational. There's a million different things that we go through in life that are struggles. And God isn't surprised by those things. It's one of the reasons he wanted Aaron and his sons to tell them, put my name on them. Because God didn't need to know that we belong to him. We need to remember that we belong to him. And so if you're here this morning and you can, you're, you're aware of the struggle. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's financial. Whatever it is. Maybe it's spiritual. We're going to pray for a second. And I encourage you, as difficult as it is, to take your eye off the the thing that is the struggle and put it back on Jesus. He is the source of all of our hope. And if there's anything, as we prayed this morning before the service, I prayed that people would get healed. I prayed that people would find restoration in relationships. If there's anything that can do that, that which is unthinkable, sometimes it's even hard to believe to have the words to pray it. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. And so would you pray with me this morning? Especially if you're here with a need. We want, and if you're comfortable, just raise your hand. It's not going to make it more powerful to prayer. If you're with us online this morning, we're praying that God's presence would be manifest in your 
car, room, whatever you're in right now joining us with. If you just need a sense of God's presence, he is with you. Lord, I thank you so much for how much you love us. And I thank you that you really have put your name on us. But God is so... Uh, almost like Peter walking on the water. It's easy to become distracted uh, by taking our eyes off you and onto the issues, onto the problems, onto the struggles. God, I pray that you would help us to bring our eyes back to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifested. God, I pray for people who need healing this morning. But right now, I pray that you would heal them. God, I pray for relationships that are broken, that you would restore them. God, I pray for people here who don't know where the next check is coming from, that you would provide. But most of all, God, I pray that you would remind us that in our struggles, we are not alone. You are there with us. And so, God, we invite you in. As we've talked about your power over nature, I pray that you would manifest yourself, your power over over our nature and that you would be honored and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. As a church, one of the things that we do each week is we share communion. Typically we do it at the end of a, of a service, but there are occasions where we'll do it earlier in the service. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. We're going to do that right now. Um, and as we share communion together, this is an invitation of the manifest presence of Jesus into our midst. Jesus said to share this meal in remembrance of him. But it's not just so that we can remember he existed. It's so that we can remember who he is in our lives. Because we don't come together to pray for his power to be unleashed in a religious way. This isn't isn't a formula. This is a relationship and an invitation of God into our midst, into our everything, even our trials. And so what we do is we stand and we come to the center aisle to get uh, whichever one's closer to you. And you can come down and receive uh, the elements. And I ask you to go back to your chair um, and uh, we'll, sh- we'll share them together.
in first Corinthians, Paul's giving instructions on to the church in Corinth about how to share this meal. The reality was people in first, uh, the people in Corinth weren't very nice to each other. They, they were really unthoughtful of each other. And so Paul's kind of correcting them. And what he's telling them is, uh, those of you who get there first, don't eat all the food. Anybody one of the ones who likes to eat all the food? Because Paul's saying it's not about your hunger in this moment. It's not about you being fulfilled. It's about you as a group, together, united, experiencing the manifest presence of Jesus. And so we do that symbolically through bread and through cup. But I'm so thankful this morning that it's not just a symbolic invitation to Jesus. His presence is here. And so as we prayed for our needs, this hope that we have in Jesus gives us hope that our needs are going to be cared for. And so he Paul writes to them and he says, um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This body that's broken for us is the, is the reason we have hope for healing. And so would you pray with me this morning? God, God, I pray that as we take the bread, that there would be healing take place in our room. Would you eat with me? And then after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. It's nice to have hope. Hope is this wonderful, inspiring thing. And it's like, I love the bread. It gives me hope that my needs will be met, that Jesus will heal. But the hope that the cup brings, the eternal relationship with God, that there is now nothing that can separate me from that love that is in Christ Jesus. There's no greater hope than that. Would you pray with me, Jesus? I thank you for your sacrifice. The messy, ugly sacrifice of the cross. And the hope that that brings all of us. God, I pray that our response to your sacrifice would be one of devotion. And that our commitment to you, our covenant to you, would not be met by a a service or a tradition or or even uh, just a weekly coming to the table. But it would be met by all our devotion to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the cup with me? We're going to continue with one more song in worship. I invite you to to stay standing or be seated if that's what you need to do to be comfortable. But I invite you to invite God's presence in as we worship.
I thank you so much for how much you love us. God, to fully put into words the depth of your love for us is really not possible. And so, God, this morning we come and we say thank you. We honor you. We worship you. And we long to experience your presence. I pray that you be honored by everything we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, find someone you haven't met or spoken to in a while. Say hello to them. Good morning, and sir. we'll be back Good in just a minute. Good morning. see you. Oh, thanks. You too. Good morning. Good to see you. Not that no one could hear me if I didn't have my microphone on. You all know that. But uh, if you'd like to be baptized, you could sign up on the app. You could, there's some instructions in the bulletin that you could follow. But uh, Sunday, June 11th, uh, it's going to be a great day. We already have some people signed up and uh, excited about it. Uh, if you're new with us, you might not know me. First, let me introduce myself. My name is Jason. I am the pastor here at FDC. And as I can see, all of the kids who are lining up in the foyer, uh, if, you're a child, if you're a child and you want to go to Children's Church, you are free to go. But uh, the rest of you, if you're new with us, if you, we would love to get to know you. I'd love to find out your name, find out how you heard about our church, and see what we can do to serve you in the best way possible. And the best way to do that is through the little cards that are in your in the row right in front of you. You could take one of those cards, fill out your name, or you could scan the QR code and fill it out online. However you choose to do that, I'd love to, to meet with you and maybe grab some coffee if you're a coffee drinker. I'm not, but I will do it socially. 
Um, but uh, whatever way we can do it, we want to find out how we can best serve you and be, uh, welcome you into the family that is FTC. Uh, just a few announcements that I have this morning. First, um, the, Wednesday nights, we have Bible study. And uh, right now, we just started a new series that we are working through, the book of First Peter. Uh, Pastor Jerry and I uh, are, are doing that. We'd love for you to, to come and be part of it. It's, it's interesting. It's funny. We try to heckle each other. Whichever one isn't teaching is trying to heckle the other. That actually happens. Uh, it's okay. It's fun. But this Wednesday, uh, the first uh, is family prayer night. The first Wednesday of every month. We dedicate the night to just praying for families, families in our church, families in our community. And so we uh, we have some worship that we do. It's really low key. We uh, actually do it through YouTube. And, uh, and then we, we have designated prayer time. So I invite, invite you to come out and be part of it. Uh, believe that there are things Jesus said that these things can only happen through prayer. And breakthrough in our families is one of the things that we've seen God do through prayer. And so that's what we, why we dedicate one Wednesday each month to do that. So I invite you to join us this Wednesday. Um, I think that's the only other announcements I have. I don't have any other slides. We as a church, we have three core values. Our second core value, it doesn't mean it's less important than the first, but, but one of our core values is that we prioritize the next generation. And so... Uh, we want to thank you for helping us do that, to serve uh, our children and our youth in uh, as many ways as we possibly can. I've got news. Here's a spoiler alert. In the next couple of months, several months, we'll be talking about more ways we can serve our youth and our children. And uh, you're not going to want to miss that. So come every time. We're, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, please come because church is better when you're here, but don't come because I have a, a, an announcement to talk about. Um, but we want to, we want to make this a place kids long to be. And so uh, kids, youth, and those kinds of things. And it's your generosity that helps us meet, uh, care for our, the next generation in the way they, that we do. And there are a number of ways that you could give uh, here at FTC. There's, there's things on the slide you could give uh, through the app. You could text to give. You could give online through our website. You could go old school and give in person. Uh, there are envelopes, uh, at the giving boxes, which are out the tables by the doors or on your way out. There's a number of ways you do that. However you choose to be generous, I want to say thank you. Uh, as your pastor and as the pastor of our young people, um, there is nothing, I'm going to be honest. All the kids are gone. They didn't hear it. Don't tell them I told you this. There is nothing that thrills me and annoys me at the same time as kids running through this building. Because I'm, I, have an insur- I have insurance in my background, so I don't want to kids, see kids fall down because I know what that might mean. But I tell people all the time, if I ever get cranky about kids running through this building, that's a problem. Tell me to stop it. Because there's no place I'd rather see kids having fun than at church. And so we want to be the place kids want to be. We want to be the place youth want to be. And uh, that happens predominantly because of God's blessing and because of your generosity. And so thank you for doing that. That's all the announcements I have. We have a guest speaker this morning. Um, uh, his name is Andy Lynn. He is the net. We, we prioritize the next generation at our church. And in New Jersey, uh, Andy is the next gen director. And so uh, why, why don't you come up? You and uh, we'll. I don't. I'm not great at introducing. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, thanks, Pastor Jason. Thank you, Andy. Uh, leads next gen. He's from Maryland. He's a Ravens fan. So Sorry. maybe be praying already. Sorry. Uh, That's true. But uh, it is. But actually, uh, your family. 
Yeah. And, and uh, he's family for a number of reasons. First, you're a Christian, and so we're brothers. Brothers. Yeah, uh, yeah brothers. And um, you married an incredibly wonderful, awesome person. I was going to say I got lucky, but it was blessed. Okay, there you blessed. go. Blessed. So, Absolutely. Andy's wife, Santina, is here this morning. She loves attention. No, she doesn't. In any way, shape, or form. If she heard me say that, she's in the nursery right now. Yeah. But uh, she was part of Joy and I's first youth group. Yeah. Um, and uh, she holds a special place in our heart. So then so do you. Because at first when I heard that you were coming around and that you were, like, outgoing, we were like, that's never going to work. Because Santina's not. But... Uh, you're one, uh, you're a wonderful guy, first of all, but they don't know that you were also part of my, my, or, uh, ordination service. So when I got yeah. ordained, you prayed over me. And so yeah. you, uh, you're special to our family. I just want to thank you so oh, much. Man. It's for a pleasure being to be here. Morning. Love you. Bro hugs. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Give very it up, much. Randy. Thank you very much. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I'm blessed. I think I have, for me, it's like one of the coolest jobs I could ever have. I've been a youth pastor the last 14, 15 years. And in November, I started a role where I help oversee in New Jersey um, our churches and help our pastors and leaders and coordinators and directors. Uh, if, if anybody works with zero and nursery, preschool, elementary, all the way through college, um, my job is to help equip and love those people to do the best they can and, and disciple those students. And uh, I was, for a couple of years, I was a, a professor um, at the, the University of Valley Forge over youth culture and uh, over youth ministry. So there's every now and then, today I'm going to be talking about the next gen, but specifically that everybody in this room has a role in reaching and discipling the next generation. Whether you're in your 80s or whether you're in middle school or high school, you have a role. And in scripture, it's one of my favorite themes. If you look at it, every God-sized vision in scripture requires more than one generation. Every single God-sized vision. In other words, every vision in scripture that God gave his people was so big, it could never be accomplished in just one generation. So I want to ask you, the vision that you have for your life, can it be accomplished in your lifetime? If you're, if the vision you feel like God has given you for your life can be accomplished before you die, can I challenge you? It's not big enough. The vision that he has for you should require more than one generation. In other words, it should be so big that we're passing the baton and leaving a legacy so that future generations can carry it on. You're going to hear me say this word a few times today. It's legacy. And just so we're talking about the same things, this is a really short definition. Legacy is a future Without me, still being influenced by me. Legacy is a future without us, still being influenced by us. A legacy in this community is, is a future that everybody in this church a hundred years from now will probably not be here, but this community will still be influenced mightily by what you've done today, this year, next year. It's a future without us, still being influenced by us. Here's why I'm excited. Check out this first slide. It's a little pie chart. So this was statistics from 2019, and it may have changed a little bit, but these are pretty accurate. And essentially, it's saying, when do people meet Jesus? When do people encounter Jesus? And 85% of people will encounter Jesus before the age of 14, between four years old and 14. Raise your hands if that's you in this place, between four and 14. A lot of people, probably most of us in here. Next is 10% between the ages of 15 and 30. Anybody? 
All right, a few more. Anybody, did you encounter Jesus for real after you were 30 years old? Jesus really wanted you. Like, he came after you, yeah. So they, the, the data would tell us most students encounter the Lord and choose to follow him at an early age. If you are an investor, the best return on investment in the kingdom of God is young people. It's kids and it's youth. And uh, I know for me, as I look at, like, the stock market and things, I think, man, what I wouldn't do to get, get back in a time machine when Apple was a dollar a share and buy a few hundred of those shares, right? Well, right now, we're walking in these halls. We hear them right now. Our shares of Apple, that if we invest in them now, they'll be warriors for the kingdom of God when they're 30, 40, and 50. It's there. It's good. So I want to see who's in the room really quickly, and then we'll get into the passage. This is like my professor's side. I did my master's thesis on generations and specifically how to teach and disciple generations. And so let's check out this slide real quick. This is the the different generations we have in the room. Oh, first, this is exciting. So in New Jersey, we have 1.7 million students, over 1,500 public schools in the state of New Jersey. Uh, it is the most diverse state. It is the most densely populated state. And there is more unreached teenagers in the state of New Jersey than the population of entire countries that we have missionaries to. Like, you don't have to fly across the world to reach an amazing mission field. It's right here in our backyard. All right, hit up this next slide. This is super exciting. Um, uh, go to the one for me that has the five generations, if you would. I think I'm a little out of order. So these are the five generations. So is anybody, I'm going to be really excited if someone's here. Is anybody in the room born before 1943? It's pretty rare, but I love it when I meet someone. Oh, no, that's okay. When Did I miss it? Yeah, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. We're so glad you're here. And uh, I love it. Uh, baby boomers. Baby boomers in the house. Raise your hand if you're a baby boomer. You are between 1943 and 1964. All right. How many Gen Xers? 1965 to 1976. All right. Usually that's the loudest group in the room. Just saying. Usually it is. M- millennials, 1977 to 1997. All right. And how about Generation Z and Alpha? Born after 97. Okay. Glad you guys are here too. Now, this is just a really quick teaching on this, just to help you in your day-to-day life or when you see kids at church. Um, there's a reason why I have Generation Z and Alpha on a different line. This is the first time in the history of the United States, Generation Z and Alpha is not just a different generation, they're a completely different culture. It's the first time this has happened. In, in, between me, I'm a millennial, my parents were baby boomers. Between that generation, we had different styles of dress, different styles of clothing, but we shared similar values. This is the first time that we no longer share the same values. If you put up the slide, it says the economic ages in the U.S. This is the most boring part, and then we're, we're about to get into our passage. But we have three main ages in the U.S., and this is important because I want you to understand when you talk to someone who's 14, 15, that you are not just having a normal conversation, you're having a cross-cultural conversation. So if you were in a different country, you would naturally think, I'm in a different country, this person doesn't think like I think, let me talk to them in a different way. But we think, I'm talking to an American, a United States citizen that's 15 years old, but they're actually a different culture. The reason is, for the first time ever, they've not been shaped by their grandparent, by their parent. They've been shaped by this. It's a global influence. 
They're getting shaped by people in Japan, shaped by students across Europe, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, not so much Facebook, but YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. And they're getting all these influences for the first time ever. They're getting influence just as much from a YouTube video as they are from their grandparent. For the first time this has ever happened in, in our country. So in the agricultural age, this was back in the day where towns were mainly farms, maybe a little bit of production. The church was the center of the community. The pastor was usually the smartest person in the town. Sometimes the pastor also helped out with the school. And there was a, a question that drove society. Who are you? It was not a fast-paced community. This is kind of pre-the 1920s, and in parts of the U.S., even today, is an agricultural community. Now, as the U.S. got a little further past World War II, we went into the industrial age. Now, this is where most of us process as an industrial age type thinker. Let me give you an example. If you're an industrial age thinker, you are defined not by who are you, but what do you do? If you're in an elevator and someone says, hey, my name's Tim, and you say, hey, my name's this. Your next question is, what do you do for a living? We define each other by what we do for a living. It's, it's normal in our context. I'm a plumber. I'm a doctor. I'm a pastor. I'm a nurse. I'm a maintenance person. Whatever it is, we define by what we do. This is the first time in human history in the informational age. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, our students 0 to 24 were raised where the smartest person was not the boss at work. The smartest person was not the pastor. The smartest person was who could access Google the fastest, right? And we're seeing that now. If you watch the news, artificial intelligence is becoming a buzzword, AI, because students are always on it. They think the smartest person in the world is who can access that AI, that Google search engine, the, first, the fastest. So they, they are positioned with one question in mind. They define themselves not on who they are, not on what they do, but on what they think. In other words, they are what they think. Gen Z and Gen Alpha is the most offended generation on the history of the planet. They are easily offended because their identity is based in their thinking and their opinions for the first time ever. So when you disagree with the Gen Z or Gen Alpha on political basis, some of them instantly turn off. When you disagree with them in certain ways. And what's crazy is, if you put up that next slide, it says the biggest gap between Gen Z and the gospel. We live... In a post-truth culture. In other words, if you've noticed that on the news, a lot of the things going on in our culture make no logical sense. I won't go through them all individually because there's too many to list. But a lot of what we do just doesn't make sense. We live not in a post-Christian culture, but in a post-truth culture. To Gen Z and Gen Alpha, absolute truth is offensive. I was recently doing a new believers class. And I had some Gen Z and Gen Alpha in the class with me. And I said, guys, how many of you believe Jesus is the only way? Every hand in the room said, oh, yeah, Pastor Andy, Jesus is the only way. I said, great. And I did this on purpose. I put up on the screen, that means Jews are wrong. And if they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to go to hell. That means Muslims are wrong. I put a other list. And I said, how many of you did I just offend? They all put their hand up. They said, Andy, it's okay that we have this truth that Jesus is the only way, but it's, they are, have the right to have their own truth. And it's part of our training in our new believers class. I said, truth is truth, whether you believe it or not. Jesus is not always the politically correct way. Jesus is not always the easiest way, but Jesus is the only way. He is the truth and the life. And although that offends a Generation Z and Gen Alpha, here's the exciting part. 
when a student experiences Jesus, they're all in. My generation of the millennials were known to go to a couple different youth groups and then go party on the weekends. What I've noticed about Gen Z and Gen Alpha, when they meet Jesus, they're not half in and half out. They are all in. For them, the Bible is not a source of truth. So it is imperative that you and I, as we love them, as we share our faith, we become their first source of truth and then scripture. For them, they see the Bible as an ancient textbook and they say you, they see you as a walking representation of someone who's encountered Jesus, which is a story we're going to read about today. Last but not least, these students are the most anxiety-filled, most medicated generation we've ever had. More of them are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds than any generation prior at their age. And it, wouldn't you be anxiety-filled as well if absolute truth was a moving target for you, right? If there is no solid rock. So we have a mission field before us.